Hey, it's Darren Johnson. I'm here with Mike Levy, and we're going to do another weekly newspaper podcast sponsored by the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press Newspaper of Upstate New York. Uh, it's a paper that serves the uh, region just outside of Saratoga Springs. It's in a county called Washington County. Uh, we also sometimes touch upon stories that are just a little over the border in Saratoga County, maybe Rensselaer County from time to time. But for the most part, one of Washington County's newspapers. And how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. How are you doing today, Darren? Doing all right. I'm a little tired. I've had some events lately I've been going to um, on behalf of the newspaper. You know, one of the things, I worked at newspapers in the 90s, community newspapers like this, and uh, we had a, a publisher that owned uh, several newspapers, and when he hired editors, he'd say, the editor has to always be out into the, in the community. It's an important aspect of being an editor. You could be great with words, you could be great with editing, you could meet all your deadlines, but if you're not out in the community, you're really missing the flavor of the paper, so people need to see you around. And that got a little bit, you know, with COVID, got a little bit rough, but um, but I've been making up for lost time. Well, I sort of agree with that, actually. Some some papers portray themselves as being local, but they're really owned by national corporations, you know, that may own several or dozens of newspapers around the country. Like, for instance, the local Post Star is actually owned by Lee Enterprises, which has 77 papers in 26 different states. And they're based in Davenport, Iowa. And I don't know if you've ever been to Davenport, Iowa, but that's, you know, the Quad City area. Completely different than Washington County, even though it is a farming community. So Yeah. So I do agree it's important that the editor should become part of the community. And, you know, in a way I could understand their business model a little bit. And the Post Star recently announced that they are cutting print circulation to three days a week. And they're going to eliminate those carriers. Uh, that's a job I had as a kid. Did you have a job like that as a kid? I did. I, when I lived in Miami, I actually delivered the Miami News. So I oh, okay. delivered to 96 different households. Oh, okay. And try to collect from 96 That's about households. the number I had. I was in Utica, New York. It was called the Observer Dispatch, and that was it. And then when I got to college, I had a New York Times paper route where I had about 300 customers, but I got to use my car, so that was a little easier. And I'd put them in blue bags and throw them in, yep. uh, you know, in front of mansions and such. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so they're getting rid of the uh, carrier system, and they're going to do postal mail. So you're going to get three copies, if you're a subscriber, of the Postar print edition in your mailbox. They say, well... We'll make up for it with an e-edition, and sure, that's the future a little bit, but it's a lot of people still depend on that print edition, and the print edition is just something else. I think it lends weight to a newspaper, um, and when I go out into the community, I notice people like they remark on the print edition more than anything that we do on our social presence or, or anything like that. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for having a, a, a hard edition to look at. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of people are looking at you know their Facebook pages or Twitter for their 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 news feeds, and the problem with that is they they get the facts, but they don't get the perspective that usually comes when you read an article for much longer than a soundbite that you see or a, a quick little blurb you see on Facebook. And I know when I was in elementary school, and I mentioned I was in Florida, my newspaper route about the same time. You know, they force us to take some journalism stuff. That's, I know you're a distinguished professor of journalism. I took one class in elementary <laughs> school. But the, what I do remember is the five W's and the H, right? Yeah. Which is who, what, when, where, why, and how. So all these other things, including these little local newspapers, freebies, they give you three of them. They give you the, the what, the where, and the when. But they really don't tell you the who and the why. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes they give you the who, but it doesn't tell you the, really the back, back story of it. And that's what I think a local newspaper brings to the table is 
you know, facts are one thing, but perspective and analysis is another thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and being known and like, if I call in a favor, I'll get a call back, um, that type of thing, because you are a known entity, they've seen you in the community. Mm -hmm. So if we're dealing with the county clerk and we want um, some quotes from the county clerk on her upcoming uh, election, you know, that person will actually talk to me, whereas if it's just, hey, I'm Joe with a microphone and I have a, a mm -hmm. MySpace page or whatever it is, TikTok, I guess, is the modern example, they might not get a call back or they might not be as quickly trusted. But that's the good example that you gave. Here's someone who, you know, you call them and say, hey, are you running for office? They say, yes, I'm running for office. You put that in a free paper, but you're asking the question, well, why are you running for office? What are the difficulties? Why didn't you get your party's endorsement? Mm -hmm. those, those are good questions, and that's what people need to know in a community. Going beyond the press release, even if you get a press release and you see, like, this is a little too rah-rah, putting in some of your own knowledge and turning it into a quasi-news piece is different than what the free papers do right. in our community. So, um, speaking of free papers, I was at the Whipple City Festival, which is mm -hmm. one of, I guess, three big events that happen in Greenwich each year, Tractor yeah. Parade, and the the um, the county fair being mm -hmm. the other two, uh, those are pretty ones that gather more than a thousand people or so. You know that that in this area, um, and come every year. So Whipple City is uh, sponsored by the Greenwich Chamber of Commerce, and newspapers always have interesting relationships with the Chamber of Commerce. Um, the one I worked at in the '90s, the editor in chief, they let him run the Chamber of Commerce for a couple of years. Um, a newspaper itself is a business, so it has business interests, but then sometimes has to report on these businesses and might not always be friendly to the businesses in print, which sometimes creates some, you know, I wouldn't say controversy but or hostility, but, you know, sometimes people might think that your motives are more um, journalistic than they are uh, business-oriented when you are in a group like that. So it's run by the chamber. They only have a few members that actually ran it. I think maybe they had four people that were running this event. You stopped by. What do you think? Well, you know, I think the question is, was it a success or not? And I don't know if it hit the mark this year. And a lot of people will say because of the weather was bad, and that's probably the excuse that people will talk about. But I think, I think they actually missed the mark in terms of making it a family-friendly event, having enough things for people to do. And I know I wrote an article that you published right before that, where I'm saying this this is our you know this is the way it is, and this is in a time capsule for the future to look at. Hopefully, we can do better than what we had this year. Um, what I saw were a lot of um, political candidates running, political parties, uh, commercial entities. There were some community uh, groups that were there, but in terms of events for kids to draw people out, even if there was rain, there should have been something that would have drawn people in. And I'm thinking at 7 o'clock that night, um, they had uh, Eastbound Jesus, and they had a great turnout for that, even okay. though it was raining. Mm -hmm. so, so it wasn't the rain. That so, was... so I think it had something to do with content. So what, what was your take on it? Um, okay, so I've done it for three years now. I bought the paper three years ago, and three years ago it was pretty good, and it seemed pretty vibrant. Maybe it's because we were not quite out of COVID, but it was one of the first events as COVID was, um, you know, people were starting to understand how COVID was spread, and it was pretty good. Um, I felt it was good. I moved about 20 t-shirts, and I didn't have much of a display, but it seemed like there were at least double the number of vendors a couple of years ago. Last year wasn't so good. Bad weather again. Not as bad as this year, 
but bad weather again. And um, yeah, I think it's maybe because I, I wouldn't rate it a failure per se. No, I wouldn't I would, rate it a failure. I either. would say that you know, and just before that, we had the Memorial Day parade in town, which was pretty good. And the Memorial Day parade um, had all the groups that you would normally want in it, all the little leagues mm-hmm. and the firemen and the veterans and all of those different groups and a couple of political candidates. But it was it was kind of quaint and it seemed more hometownish. Um, the parade this year was okay, but it didn't get the same level of um, excitement as the Memorial Day parade just a couple of weeks before this one. Um, the concerts... Yes, Eastbound Jesus has a following. I didn't go to that. I was gone by then. Uh, I'd been rained on all day. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. But, um, but you know, did those people come for Whipple City or did they come for Eastbound Jesus? They probably just came for Eastbound Jesus. So I found that last year was kind of weak and this year was even weaker as far as turnout goes. And maybe just a street fair without actual vendors that everyday people like to go to. Um, notwithstanding a newspaper might be, you know, not, uh, we're not a popcorn sales or cat and candy, but, um, I, I put a little cutout out there where kids get their picture taken. They could stick their face in mm-hmm. a hole in a, in a board and it would make it look like they were in the newspaper. Um, and that got some attention. Um, but overall, yeah, I'd say it needs to be rethought and then having main street closed down, create some, some, um, concern. Um, and then also you know, I, I know they wanted it on Main Street because of the business interest, and maybe that's the problem with having a Chamber of Commerce run the event, is that they look at it through the lens of a business organization, and they have so many constituents in the business community that they don't want to offend. Like, they even spread out to um, uh, the area with the, the diner and, uh, I forget the name of that little plaza with, like, four or five shops in it, um, just because to bring some people over there because then maybe they'd patronize those businesses um you know just because i think is one of the businesses there and there's a couple others um so it was a little bit spread out the the stage was behind wally's the um and then there was a bunch of school related activity like dunk tanks and things like that um and that was very popular yeah, it was. It got those kids there. They got to see their teachers get wet and things like that. It was That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, yeah, there probably wasn't enough. If I were to do it, I probably would would move it. And now it has to be in the village because it's Whipple City. But I would probably do it in the village um, over near Village Hall, Town Hall on Academy Street and use some of their lots. They have this big lot that has, um, if the town would let you, uh, that they do Christmas trees on during the winter. Mm-hmm. And so there's land there, there's a nice parking lot. It's just one street, so it wouldn't really tie up traffic. And um, and then there's some other areas around there. You could have some, just have everyone concentrated. Now I know that would maybe take people away from the businesses on Main Street, but maybe people not showing up to this event shows that maybe they've lost touch with a lot of the businesses on Main Street, which we opined about the last podcast. Right. Well, like I can say, I disagree with you slightly. I think having it on Main Street was good. Some of the local businesses, like Gather 103, had an open house, so you could see what their facility was. Um, it was good to see Coffee Ann. You know, they were open, and they were selling hot dogs. Yes. And um, Wicked Wicks was open, and, you know, saying they're back and they're ready for business. So I think it was good for them to promote that business. I do think, though, um, you know, I, I, I think for next year, 
the chamber needs to look at, you know, beginning with the end in mind. What are they trying to accomplish yeah. with this kind of festival? What are the goals? The questions should be in their mind. Why are we having this event? Mm -hmm. What is the target audience? Um, who are we trying to serve? And then at the end, what are they? What are the very specific measures of success of such a festival? Mm -hmm. So just the fact that they had it, it, it got done, no one got hurt, um, even though there was rain and you know, there was traffic that was had to be rerouted. But I think all those things, beginning with the end in mind, what are the goals? Mm -hmm. I think those are the questions they should be asking themselves as they plan for next year. Yeah, and uh, and I would work on the branding besides just and creating branding. a logo and like who is uh, you know Joe Whipple, and maybe have a, a person play Joe Whipple and build up the story of, of of Whipple so that people outside of the community actually say, hey, maybe we'll try out Greenwich and uh, come in because I doubt there were many people from outside our own community at this right. event. Now, how did how did your uh, your uh, you know face thing work out. Yeah, I know. No one knows what those are called. I don't either. What are they uh, called? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they, they must, someone where you should put come your... up with a name. Yeah, let's let's create a, a image for people. <laughs> if you've ever been to a carnival or something and there's a board that's painted with funny characters and you can go on the other side, stick your face through it, and then you would look like that funny character and get your picture taken. I don't know what that board is named. I think um, we should create the name maybe. And, uh, and trade so, market, Whipple City Board. Yeah, the, the Whipple, <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't squeeze the Charmin uh, Whipple City Board. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's an old reference. Um, and Don't squeeze the Charmin, Mr. Whipple. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Whipple. That's what we should have at the Whipple City. If, uh, no one would know the difference. Um, so it's it got traffic. Um, I'd say probably at least 20 pairs of kids. We had two holes for them to stick their faces through. I'd say at least 20 pairs of kids, if not more, did it. Um, we had it kind of ground level, so, uh, you know, the adults couldn't really participate easily without getting down and, and then having to get back up. But, um, but yeah, we had some kids. I noticed, though, that, and this is a trend I've noticed, uh, even though we had a rack of free papers next to it, very few of the parents, if any, picked up the free paper, even yeah. though it was right there. And it, I don't think it had been mailed yet. So even if they were subscribers, which I doubt, um, they could have gotten a free advanced issue of the paper. Uh, so, yeah, that was a little disappointing. So, so why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know why, like, even a free paper, you know, that's normally $2 is kryptonite to, um, to people who are in their 30s. And I don't think it's a generational thing. Um, I think people will pick up a paper if it applies to them. Um... I have another paper that's called Campus News that hits colleges, and it does get picked up. It, it definitely does. Um, you know, we see the racks, and it moves still to this day. Not everyone picks it up, but enough pick it up so that it is still viable as a business. And I'm not sure. When I first took over the paper three years ago, I thought, all right, you know, here's the market. Here's here's what past publishers neglected, that um, the, the young parent, the parent that their kid is just entering school, and K through 12, and uh, let's let's go after that crowd because that's where growth is. And it never really panned out. I spent a lot of money in the first year. Um, we did COVID had hit, and we did um, an issue where we took every single person's, or we gathered, if they didn't do it, um, graduation photo, and from Cambridge, from Greenwich, from um, Argyle, all the different places, Salem, and uh, we put them in the paper. 
and we listed their names and everything. And it was a lot of work. It took a lot of layout. It cost some money. Um, and it really didn't lead to anything. It didn't really lead to more subscriptions. And we have stuff in every edition that is, hey, Joe Smith, you know, eighth grader won the 5K race or something. We have stuff like that in every issue. It doesn't really move the needle. So I'm as curious as anyone as to why. Now, these same parents, if I post it on Instagram or Facebook, they'll share it um, and share it proudly as if, hey, look, my kid's in the paper but they don't really want to deal with the print edition for some reason, and it's hard to gather why. The students I teach at a, at a college, um, I run the school paper too, they want to keep the print edition. They like the print edition. They distribute it. They look forward to it, and they understand the value of it. It's, um, it's I think, the millennial generation that might be the most adverse, and maybe Generation Z will come back to it. But, um, but oh. it's that millennial generation. Well, that's kind of interesting. I always viewed people as being distracted by social media, and they only care about whatever groups they subscribe to. Yeah. So anything that's not within those groups and that specific feed, they're not really interested in. But they are knowledgeable about local and national events. I bet you, you know, if you ask them, you know, who, who your congressperson is, they probably wouldn't even know. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and I think they're also losing the uh, importance of something that's very dear to probably every American, the First Amendment, mm -hmm. the right to a free press. Because if there is no press, how can you have a free press? And, you know, admittedly, consumption of news has changed. In the old days, it was print. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was Pony Express, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe Paul Revere riding through town. Yeah, the telling, town crier. The town crier talking thing. And then you had the newsprint. And then you had radio. And then you had broadcast TV. Mm -hmm. And then you had cable TV, you know, the birth of CNN. And now you have the internet and all the different social media outlets. But newspapers, to me, are a slower form of media that allows you to gain some perspective. Yeah. And you can always go back to it. It's hard to rewind something on TV or hard to rewind something that you see that disappears on social media in 30 seconds. Yeah. So, so, but then you can, you can you know, have perspective and you have it as a reference. And there was an article recently, I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal, about people that still do clippings. So I don't know if you remember, if someone read an interesting article, they mm -hmm. stick it in an envelope and they'd mail it to you. Say, hey, I thought you'd be interested in this article. Yeah, yeah. The original form of social, social I'm media. Sorry, I'm sure some of our readers still do that. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, I'm sure they pass around the paper too a good deal uh, from what I've heard. I've heard like there was one copy that went to a local nursing home, but everyone there read it. So it's like, yeah, we only make the $2, but... Uh, but yeah. it's, it's widely read because people take it seriously. That was one complaint um, I heard at Whipple City was, oh, I heard the paper was political. And, you know, and that's, it's weird how people's perceptions are now. Just reporting on politics is being political. Even if you just interview both Democrat and Republican and third party, if there is one, that's considered political. Just talking to someone who is political, getting quotes is considered political nowadays. That's pretty scary when you think about it because how else would you get both sides of the story? Yeah, or what, what's the alternative? Um, you're just going to go to their individual Facebook pages and, right. and join one tribe or the next right. and vote for that tribe in the election. Right. And the one thing I like about the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press most newspapers try to get this conflict going. It's so-and-so versus so-and-so. That's what sells the newspapers. It's Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And you know, yeah. that's, the, that's the story, not what the issues are. 
So I think the thing with a local newspaper is getting to what those issues are. Mm -hmm. And making um, a record, too. And make, as a permanent record of, of what the issues are, what the discussion, what the debate is about it. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the personalities. It's not so-and-so versus so-and-so. Mm -hmm. You know, it's these are the issues. And that's the thing you don't get on social media. That's not the thing you get on Facebook. That's not the thing you get on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Is defining the issues. I've noticed that in the local races that a lot of the issues we brought up in the paper are the ones that they address in their platforms when they come out with their platforms. Mm -hmm. It's like we're going to address X, Y, and Z, like that park we talked about last issue that's had some controversy. In reality, it's a park that practically no one goes to because people don't know about it. It's not really well um, advertised. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's nice, but there's not much to do there. And, but it's garnered about, you know, half dozen to, you know, 10 stories in our paper over the years. And it's become a point that the Republicans and Democrats um, argue about. And I think it wouldn't be an issue if it never had been reported on in the yeah. first place. So, you know, we saw some of, uh, you know, we well, well, it's good to meet the people at, at Whipple City and, and see some of the diehards and the people that like the paper. Um, I don't know. The rain was a little bit, it was it, on it's hard off. to say. It, it, I think it, because it is a, an event that you don't really look very forward to, the average person, um, the rain probably scared away enough people. And I know some vendors were scared away and they yeah. didn't show up. Well, I think the rain became an excuse. Most yeah. people would fight through it if it was something yeah. they really wanted to do. If it just was like, really good. Just yeah. like the people who went to Eastbound Jesus, you know. Yeah, they, they were willing to stand out there. And so, so you went to another event that I didn't go to. I think you went. You said you went to the Hudson Crossing Park Gala. Yeah, Hudson Crossing Park had their annual, I think they call it Banquet by the Bridge or something like that. Yeah. There's a bridge and it connects Washington County and Saratoga mm -hmm. County. And it was owned by um, Governor Dix, or he at least, it was named after him. And he used it because he lived in Clark's Mills, um, Greenwich. And he would commute over this bridge. It's pretty much a one-car bridge. Cars aren't allowed on it anymore. It was in total disrepair about 10 years ago. And Hudson Crossing Park took it over. They got some grants. And it's a beautiful bridge now that you can walk or take a bike or a snowmobile even and go across it and tra tra traverse the two counties, um, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's the one event every year that the Greenwich people meet the Schuylerville people. Um, and it's the one event that like kind of, and I think it hadn't happened because of COVID, so I think this was the first time in a while. It was a really well-attended event, event. So, for example, the mayor of Schuylerville was there, and the... Um, chairs of the Washington County um, in Greenwich, uh, the Stern uh, couple, uh, Democratic Party were there. And even though the mayor of Schuylerville is technically a Democrat, they hadn't met up until this point in time. So I introduced them and, you know, we had some drinks and it was, um, it was a, a good lighthearted event. I got to walk to it from my house. So it wasn't, uh, I didn't have to drive because I live right near there. And it was, um, it was nice. They gave an award uh, to uh, Tegan Wright, who is the valedictorian of Greenwich High School. And I got to share with her an article that's in our current edition and say, hey, um, you know, we wrote an article on you. And she was pleased with that. And they um, also honored Carrie Warner, who is the assembly person for this area, uh, because she helped get a lot of grant money. So, you know, I spoke with her for a minute. I, I wondered how she gets to so many events because she's at everything. She's at everything. Yeah, and she brings her aides, too, and they have to come as well. <laughs> and I don't know. That, that's 
a reason why I wouldn't be good in that position if you have to go to every uh, every event. But that was a good one, and I brought my camera, got some good photos, mm -hmm. and um, put them on the um, web. I'll probably put them in the next newspaper, but they got a good amount of sharing. So it's an interesting event. A lot of people talked about the paper. Uh, someone said specifically that they really liked the issue with the podcast transcript that was in it. Oh, really? Which was an unusual thing we did. I hadn't seen it in a newspaper before. And uh, we recorded a podcast that isn't publicly available because the sound wasn't good. But I turned it into a newspaper transcript, put it in the paper, and a lot of people stopped me and said, really, I like that one. I can't believe I read it cover to cover. But, um, but yeah, that one kind of caught people's imaginations for some reason. Wow. Something different. Are we that interesting? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Maybe I cut out the boring parts. But, um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting. So that was a nice event. Um, you know, overall, it's good to have the print paper, and I don't think we could exist without the print paper, even if there is waning interest amongst younger people in the print edition. I think the print paper is what gives the influencers, the movers and shakers, even if they don't subscribe, it gives it some kind of permanence, it, it gives it some kind of weight, and they know this print paper exists, and there's something about it. So I think if you are going to be a media entity, you still have to pay the printer bill and at least you know distribute oh. to the cumbies and, and those types of places well, let me ask the college professor the question you said your campus news does well in printer version your demographic for this paper is what 50 and older maybe 40 and older yeah well for the print edition it probably is 50 and over i would okay, say so how do we get the list? 22 to 50 year olds yeah you have, you have both ends of the, the spectrum how do you get that middle i know you know and it's catch 22 because when i took over this paper it wasn't making money and it's still really not making money if you think about it uh, factor in all the expenses and stuff or whatever i do make i just put back into the paper because i feel like i'm still growing something right. it might not be a paper it might be something digital but i feel like i'm growing something um and i'll keep the print edition going as long as um as long as it can move enough so it makes it worthwhile for the printer to print it um so what do advertisers say when you go to them and say hey would you like to advertise in the greenwich journal all right so here's Park? i know that's that's a catch-22 because there are these free papers that exist in our region and they are much more aggressive with garnering advertising and they can boast larger circulations because they just give away their product for free one of them just mails it to every house in every zip code in Washington County or something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, they have a different type of mailing permit than <clears> we have. And um, another, they just dump it in grocery stores or they do, both of them do a combination thereof probably. And so people can just get this free paper. They feel like they've gotten a paper. The paper can say, hey, we print five times as many as the Greenwich Journal. And, uh, but what people don't realize is is that people read our paper closely. They pass it around. Um, so, you know, that is a catch-22. The other thing is I have to spend a certain amount of time on editorial. I don't have as much time to sell the ads. I'll send out one email every two weeks mm -hmm. to advertisers. Hey, do you, do you want to be in this edition? Not a hard sell. But the free papers, they call all the time. They come out with special sections all the time. They just co-opt things. Like they'll say, right. hey, Greenwich High School is graduating. We're going to do a salute to the graduates. They don't have any special arrangement with Greenwich High School. Right. But they, they're just saying it. The school will give them a photo of all the grads. And uh, they'll just publish the photo and throw a bunch of ads around it. You know. Now, why can't we do that? Yeah. 
uh, you know, well, well, I well, don't can, have the manpower. Well, let me ask the question maybe a different way. So, yes, these free newspapers, you have to pay for an ad. There's a certain price that they charge because they have to cover their cost of mailing everything to every household in sure. Washington County and putting it out in every free location. So there has to be a cost to that ad, which has to be significantly more than the price you charge for an ad. Yeah, because they're claiming higher circulation. Yeah. Okay, but you're, but you're making the argument for you're having better, I don't know what you say, retention rate, that people actually read your paper. Yeah. Or what would be the thing, utilization rate or something like that? Yeah, um, it would be called time spent when um, time spent. when advertisers. So, so I, that's why like, you're the professor. I you worked know at a paper. Terms. I worked at a paper that did a promotion like that, and it was a community paper like this one, and they would say time spent with the paper. I don't know how they computed it. I don't know if they made up the number or what, but they would say like the average person spends an hour and X minutes with our paper and with the free paper like five minutes. You know, so if that, right. I, I don't spend more than thirty seconds with them. But, um, you know, just the time it takes me to walk from the mailbox to the recycle bin. Uh, but, you know, the, an advertiser, and the advertisers are increasingly regional and not local. They're like Chevy dealerships that have, you know, right. own, they, they're not in the community, really. Um, they don't know. So all they could see are the raw numbers, and they could see this paper is, you know, as five times the circulation of that paper, even though the people who read our paper actually kind of believe in it and might be at a better point financially in their lives, yeah. too. I think I'd rather have 3,000 people who read my ad than 100,000 people who, who maybe 1% of them read an ad, 1,000. Yeah, or yeah. they're bargain shoppers. That's why they're, they're going really closely through right. um, this uh, free paper that they got. Uh, so it's, if you know, if they are that, that type. Yeah, it's, it's a tough sell, though. I think increasingly people don't understand what these papers are. I heard a stat that newspapers like this are going out at a rate of about one per week in this country. So um, it's it's a weird business model, and it's harder and harder to explain. That would be the one advantage if we did have an office uh, that, and we had a dedicated ad salesperson. People could stop by, and we could spend time explaining what this is and why the ad is more valuable. But um, well, in our current be, state, we can't. But wouldn't that be an upward spiral? You sell more advertising, you have more money to spend on the paper, it gets better and better, then you're going to attract more advertising. Yeah, because it's an true. upward spiral. Yeah, then you win some awards because you have more money, and yeah. uh, you can enter those award contests, which can be costly. Um, it, it, it is, but it, it, it's when I first bought this paper, I did have someone who was pretty dedicated to um, trying to sell the ads, and... It really wasn't, even though she gave her best effort, it really wasn't, um, there wasn't enough there. Now, it could have been because COVID was happening, but they're just, I don't think there are enough businesses anymore um, to do it and to also compete with the, the free paper. So what we have to do is rely on these businesses that we can build actual relationships with that are also, you know, that they realize our editorial coverage also has value right. and keeping us alive is kind of a good thing for them. So we have to rely on those types of things and, um, and do the best we can. Yeah. One thing I learned in my day job is there's an association for everything. I mean, there's an association of window blind manufacturers. There's an association for fruit manufacturers. So is there an association of small weekly or bi-weekly newspapers? Yeah, there is. There's something called the New York Press Association. And we were a member. I don't know if I still am because um, during COVID, there the billing was weird, and, and mm -hmm. I, I thought they owed me money they, they, because they, they thought I owed them money, so I think I just let it lapse. 
Um, it wasn't an expense I found of value joining this press association. They're doing something right now, though, where they are doing um, training of community journalists to help out weekly papers. So I'm all in favor of that. I think that's a, a good way to go. So someone can get some training, like you did in high school, where you learn the who, what, yeah. where, when. And that way they don't write in like a Facebooky type way, but they write in a more newsy type way that is a little bit more objective. Um, that's good, but I find that sometimes these press associations become about just their existence and not really the existence True. of the papers because the New York State's a big state. There are a bunch of wealthy papers downstate that are doing relatively okay because they're in regions that have like very Long expensive Island. real estate, like Long Island, where the local paper, which is about the same size as my paper, has ads for $3 million, $5 million mansions in it. And, you know, we have nothing like that. If you're, if you're selling $5 million mansions, you could afford... Uh, $500, $1,000 ad in the local paper, no problem. That's not a big deal. But we really don't have that up here. So the upstate papers are starting to atrophy. Um, I'm, I heard another one is, you know, going out of business on the western tier. And um, and I got this paper when it was going out of business. And a lot of them seem to be barely hanging on. Some of them just exist for the legal ads, and they really don't have much content anymore. Um, so they're what, what are called ghost papers. Some are owned by chains. Mm -hmm. And those are also surviving on the legal ads. If legislation ever changes and legal ads can go online, then these papers are, are gone. Yeah, so they're barely surviving as it is. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that um, when people ask me the valuation of a newspaper, um, all of this could disappear tomorrow with legislation. All of these newspapers could really be in trouble um, really quickly if they don't have good branding. So sometimes I find that the State Press Association favors those papers from the wealthier areas and doesn't give enough assistance to the papers mm -hmm. that actually need help upstate. Um, and even though this press association is based upstate, it seems like they hold an annual award contest, and I don't enter it out of just um, principle. But um, all the papers that win are, you know, it's a bunch of 50-something-year-olds from Long Island or Westchester County, and they, they, bring, they win all the awards. And it just doesn't seem like... I don't know. It doesn't seem like we're being recognized up right. here. And it doesn't seem like there's they're lobbying for these small-town papers. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I wish there were a strong press association, but I think we as newspaper people have to just take matters into our own hands and try to make that our... That could be Darren's next enterprise, make our association. Own, uh, <laughs> as these newspapers are going out of business, um, I, I thought it might be nice, because we do have an historic newspaper... To start like an historic newspaper association mm. that only deals with papers that are 100 plus years old so that way we don't have to deal with those free papers that are um that are kind of parasitic and um and just deal with papers that want to keep their integrity going that are on new york historic newspaper website and they have something to say still and they're still attempting journalism so to have like an association association just for those types of papers might be kind of nice um so I don't know. We'll see in the future if something like that can work out. Great. Okay. So I don't know. State of local newspapers is rough with the Post-Star going out of out of business. Uh, not out of business, but it, it looks like it doesn't have much longer. But they're cutting to three days a week. That's usually a, a not a good sign. And um, I don't know if people are now, the habit-forming aspect of the paper, the print edition is probably going to disappear. They are owned by a chain. These chains... They do milk the profits out of the papers for as long as possible to get the obituary money mm -hmm. and the legal ad money. 
Um, a lot of chains own weeklies and dailies, and they shut down the weekly so that local municipalities will have to advertise in the daily, would charge more. Um, so wow. that, that's a trend, too, that I've seen, especially in Massachusetts, um, that's happened a good deal. So um, we'll see. You know, there's other papers hanging in there. There's a paper called The Eagle out of Cambridge. Yep. And they're kind of the same type of paper we are, but they do come out weekly still. And they get almost all the um, legal ads that we don't get. So they're basically surviving on legal ads. They're not really selling a lot of display ads. And, um, and they're kind of doing the same thing. Uh, so I don't put them in the same category as these free papers that are, that are just existing for themselves. Okay. They're the goodwill of, uh, of newspapers. And, and you're doing all the online content also. For this yeah, podcast. so I, I am going to work on, uh, besides this podcast, a newsletter, an e-newsletter that will go out um, at least in the weeks when we don't have a print edition. I think that'll grow pretty quick because we do have pretty good social media presence. So I think that'll grow pretty quick, and it might be a nice adjunct to what we do, and we won't have to pay a printing bill um, either. So if we can get some advertising for that, I think that's an area where we can beat the free papers because no one, um, no one follows the free papers online. They have like no social media presence because they are what they are. If you see it for free in the grocery store, you might pick it up, but you're not going to say, oh, I love this newspaper so much, I'm going to go on their website and follow them. Meanwhile, we have about 10,000 people in a community that isn't much larger than 10,000 people, right. so we have pretty much everyone on our social media. Excellent. So... Yeah, that's where we're going. Uh, what do you have brewing? Well, not much. I mean, you know, I'm, I got to think what my next article is going to be. So I got to okay. come up with something. You're so. going to have a little more time I'm, because I'm going on vacation. I'm going to, I think, July 6th is when we're going to come out with the next okay. paper. It gives me time. Because what I try to do is I take a look at things a little differently. That's why my little column's called Random Thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, I just look at what I hear in the community, what I see, and, and I just say, wow, that's a random thought. <laughs> so, like, my first article way back when was about during COVID. And one of the guys, I went to a sandwich place here, and the guy said, oh, yeah, I just got my COVID shot today. I'm going to turn into a zombie. Oh. And I said, huh, I'm going to have lunch with a zombie. <laughs> and I said, in Washington County, if there were zombies, which zombies would come to a lunch with me? Yeah. And I came up with all these famous people that were buried in Washington County, including an actress from, you know, that she was on Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> I had no idea why she's buried in Washington County, and I, and I found out why. So that was kind of interesting. So that was kind of an article. Um, you know, I found there's a cemetery behind the Botskill Baptist Church. You walk through it, and um, all of a sudden you notice that all the headstones are in alphabetical order. Oh. And you say... Wait a minute, how could they be in alphabetical order? Did people in this town just die? First name or last name? By last name. Okay, and were how, they relocated at one point? They were relocated, and I found the story. I had to go through the historical archives, not okay. for this paper, but for another paper. That I think it was the New York Herald had a story how the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution chapter said that cemetery was overgrown at Poison Ivy. They actually came up with some money. This is during the Depression. They had the New York State Department of Transportation come in. They cleaned out the entire thing. They took out all the tombstones, put them out in the sun to bleach them, and then they just put them back in alphabetical order. So I but think do the stones match where the people not are at buried? All. Oh, that's crazy then. So And so the DAR actually read that article, and they were talking about what do we do about yeah. this. The, this is in modern times. Yeah. But th there's one that says, you know, I think the title of the article was something like... Uh, 
if Grant is who if Grant is in Grant's tomb, who lives in Grandy's tomb? Because <laughs> yeah. there's one over there that says, "Here lies so and so Grandy." That's his last name. I said he's not buried under here. <laughs> but you start on one end, it goes from A, and then it goes to to W. Or I think maybe is there a Z in there? I can't remember. But huh. but that's what they did a hundred years ago. Wow. And the DAR did it because there's a couple of Revolutionary War veterans that are buried there. So that was their interest in restoring that cemetery in the 1920s and 1930s. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I said, why are they all in alphabetical order? Um, you know, See, if I were relocating people, I would not put them in alphabetical order because I would try to, even if I were going to mismatch where people, where the gravestones are, just to cover my tracks. But yeah, that, that screams like, hey, we're just putting these gravestones well, that, back. That, they, and they just said, it's restored. And that's how they left it. And, wow. But now when you look at it, you say, that's, that's what's going on. Um, you know, then, you know, sometimes you go into a place or walk down Main Street, hear people talking about they're going to go on vacation to an exotic place or like you, you're going on a cruise and you yeah. say, wow, that's pretty great. And you said, could you have a staycation and stay in Washington County? There's Washington County tourism. Yeah. So I said, what can you do if you were going to stay in Washington County for a vacation? Yeah, yeah. So that's how I have these random thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, two, two or three issues ago, I wrote about these cars racing down Church Street, um, you know, uh, and they had the Vermont license plates on yes. it. And it's still, of course, it's May, and they still have their, you know, snow tires on. I guess it snows in Vermont still in May. I don't know. The road, there's mud season, so, yeah, that makes some sense. I don't know, but you hear the clackety-clack, and you see it, and it said, Vermont Strong. I said, that's a really great slogan. Why don't we have one for Washington County? Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting. Some people, I guess, on social media came up with something that I think is really great. Washington County, pure and simple. Yeah. So... I mean, so those are the things. I have random thoughts, and, and I put them out there, and they're completely at random sometimes, and <laughs> hopefully people like them if they don't, you know. I, I think they definitely do, yeah. Dar Darren can cut my pay, which I, is... I think <laughs> I'll cut you down to in half. Half of zero. <laughs> but anyway, that's what I try to write. I try to write some funny things, and, you know, sometimes they're hits, sometimes they're not. It does get people talking. That's how writing is, though. You know, you put a bunch of stuff out into the world, and um, I bumped into at the Whipple City Festival uh, this person. His name was Haggerty, uh, and he wrote a book on, um, on Norman Rockwell mm -hmm. and how a lot of local people modeled for Norman Rockwell. And um, and he said, you know, someone walked up to him and said, um, "Oh, I hate Norman Rockwell. It's so corny. His stuff is so corny." And it's like, all right, some of his stuff is corny. It is, but he was working for publications, mm -hmm. and you have deadlines, and you think something's good in your head, and um, and then you publish it, and it turns out to be a little corny. I don't know, you know, but look at the bulk of all of his work. So I think you have to forgive people in the journalism business if sometimes they strike out a little. Not that you strike out, but yeah. um, but I feel that way. You know, I feel like I bet probably one hundred or something out of a yeah. thousand. So it, that's just the way it is, you know. It's uh, that's the beauty of it. It's forgiving, yeah. in that you always come up with a new issue. So mm -hmm. it's not leaves of grass, I guess. Well, actually, since you put them on the archives and they're there forever and ever, so yeah, a hundred years from now, people can laugh at our follies. So. They can laugh at our yeah. And I try to if I catch a typo after I read the print edition because sometimes it's so I'm so blurry eyed that there's like you know I'm, I'll miss an article or the older version of the article will get in the paper or something like that. And I'll fix it before it goes to um, New York Historic Newspaper so that they'll think we were a little bit better than English than we were. All right, so um, I think that's pretty good. And mm -hmm. this is...
podcast number two of the ones that actually recorded, so hopefully this makes the um, cue. And you can get these podcasts on any podcast app, um, Apple Podcasts or Google or any of those, Stitcher, whatever. You can find our uh, podcast. It's called Weekly Newspaper Podcast, and hopefully uh, you'll subscribe, uh, give us um, a review online, and I'll talk to you next time. See you later, Mike. See you later, Darren.